called Hurt. It was written by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, uh, being covered by Johnny Cash. And in it, he's, he's just grieving over his regrets. He's grieving over his sinful proclivities in the past, his belief that things can't change going forward. And it strikes me because I, I feel like we, maybe, maybe not all of us, but many of us can relate to what that song and that video communicates. Maybe, maybe you have a past that you can't seem to shake free of. Nothing's gonna change can't get away from it. Maybe you struggle with chronic illness. That, that's not your fault. It's not something that you did, but it just can't, it's just not going away and it just constantly grieves you. Some of us are in a place where our age is preventing us from doing the things that we want and we realize maybe it's just never gonna get any better. Maybe you look back on your life and see missed opportunities and you think, man, things would have gone differently if I'd made these choices, but I didn't. And there's, there's no getting away from it now. These are all, in one way or another, effects of sin in our life, effects of the brokenness of the world. And Johnny Cash sings about it, but he doesn't have any answers for us. But Habakkuk, he does. We're going to finish up the book of Habakkuk this morning, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, the Pew Bible you can use will be on page 834. And to recap, Habakkuk sees his people, the people of Israel, and they are wicked. They are, inju- they are doing injustice. They are, they are cheating each other. They are committing crime. They are oppressing the poor. And he says, God, why do you let this happen? And God speaks to Habakkuk and says, don't worry about it. I got it. I'm sending the Babylonians to conquer your people, to discipline them for their sins. And Habakkuk goes, no, that's not what I wanted at all. How could you bring this wicked nation against your own people? And in chapter two, Spencer walked us through God's response last week and where God says, don't worry about that. I'm going to take care of the Babylonians. I'm going to destroy them for their wickedness. God's people are wicked. They're going to be disciplined. They're going to be disciplined by the Babylonians. The Babylonians, in turn, are going to be destroyed by God. But we know historically that from Habakkuk's perspective, this ultimate justice is not going to happen for a hundred years. Habakkuk is in a situation where he lives in the midst of despair and he knows it's not going to get any better in his lifetime. He will go to his grave with this burden. And so he writes a song. Habakkuk chapter three is a song. And I think as we look at this song, what we can draw from it today is that when we are in the midst of despair, when we think that there is no way out, we can find comfort, not in our circumstances, not in the hope that they will even change someday, but find hope and comfort in, our, in 
who God is. So we take a look at verse 1 of Habakkuk chapter 3. It says, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shigianoth. That's a musical term. We have no idea what it means. Uh, it's a Hebrew word. It might mean uh, the, the melody that is used to sing this song. It might have something to do with the in, in, instru- instrumentation. We don't know. But it's definitely a song. Verse 2, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. So if we're breaking up this song into parts, this second verse, this is the chorus. If the people of God were going to sing this song, they would come back to this verse at the end of every stanza. There's going to be three stanzas we're going to take a look at. And after every single one of them, they would sing verse 2 over and over and over again. And in verse 2, Habakkuk is praying for his circumstances to change. God, do what you did in the past. Rescue us. Show us your mighty hand. Come through for us. Jesus says that we should ask God for things, that we should ask and keep on asking. We should seek and keep on seeking. We should knock and keep on knocking. Because there is nothing too great for God to accomplish. No matter what the issue that we are dealing with is, God can step into that and he can change it. He doesn't have to change it. He doesn't always change it, but he can change it. And he says, ask me. And I've wondered, why, God, if, you don't, if you're not going to change my circumstances, why do, you, why do you want me to keep asking you about them? We uh, have started a, 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 a ritual in our home called Star Wars Night. And uh, it's an opportunity for, for Joanna to get away for like an hour and do something that she enjoys while me and the girls watch uh, the Clone Wars cartoon on Disney+. Plus. And if you're unfamiliar, it's a silly cartoon. Don't worry about it. Uh, but it's Wednesday. And Nora is just getting to the place that she understands that days have names and they go in a sequence and they repeat every week, but she has no idea what day it is. So every day I come home from work and she goes, is it Wednesday? Like, no, sweetie, it's Monday. The next day, is it Wednesday? No, it's, it's Tuesday. And the next day, is it Wednesday? Yeah, it's Wednesday. Yes! And the, the beauty of that is the fact that she continues to ask. It's a function of our relationship. She's, she's approaching me in love. She's approaching me in expectation. She has no idea what day it is. She has no idea what's going to happen, but she knows her father, and she knows that I want what's best for her, and she's excited to find out if today is the day that we get to do the thing. And so we're called to ask and seek and knock, not, not necessarily because God... God hasn't forgotten what we need. God isn't necessarily going to solve all our problems, but he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to pursue him. And so Habakkuk in verse two says, God, do something. And then he begins the first stanza of the song in verse three through eight. God comes from Timon, the holy one from Mount Paran. 
His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Kushan in distress, the tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry with the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea when you ride on your horses, your victorious chariot? Habakkuk says, in the midst of my despair, I can find comfort in the fact that God shows Habakkuk is thinking back through the history of his people. If, as we read this, you should be thinking, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, about the Exodus, where God uh, uses all of these plagues against the Egyptians and parts the Red Sea. You should be thinking about Joshua fighting a battle against God's enemies and the sun standing still. David is going out to battle and he hears the spirit of the Lord in the trees. All of these images come up in Habakkuk's mind of the times that God came through for his people. And the first thing that he thinks about is the fact that God shows up. God doesn't start in the mess, in the muck. He's not part of everything that's going on in our messed up world. He is separate. He is outside All of these references to places, Taman and Mount Paran, Midian and Kushan, these are all places in the south. Because as you you read the Old Testament, you realize that the people of Israel understand that God has come from the south. The reason for that is because their history starts in the Exodus account. And if you've ever seen uh, the movie or, or, or read the Exodus account, God shows up to Moses at Mount Sinai, which is south of Israel. And, and the people of Israel go down to Mount Sinai when they're rescued and they meet God there and then they go up north. So all, there's a lot of imagery in the Old Testament about how God comes from the south. God is not a part of our creation. He's not a part of all the mess. He is outside the mess, but he enters into it. He shows up and Yahweh is pictured as this person who is seen interacting with his creation as a physical presence marching in victory. Presence is a huge gift when we're in the midst of things that are hard. I think everything that I have to say about my family today revolves around Star Wars, so here's another one. Um, my, a couple, last year, my brother-in-law bought my two daughters lightsabers, and they are, they're the nice lightsabers. They're like hard, like airplane-grade plastic. You can actually hit them together, and they don't break, and they've got LEDs in them. They're super cool. And so we, we hang out, and we have lightsaber battles, but the problem is there's only two lightsabers. That leaves me at a disadvantage. So for Christmas, I bought a lightsaber, And I like Star Wars. I don't like Star Wars enough to buy props, honestly. But I want to hang out with my kids. I want to I want to play with my kids. And and the fact that I I can come out of my bedroom and ignite my lightsaber, and the girls go, yes! And they're so excited about it because my presence is something that they want in their lives. And Habakkuk is saying, I have faith in a God that shows up. 
The second stanza of the song starts in verse 9. You took the sheath from your bow, and the arrows are ready to be used with an oath. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by, the deep roars with a voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. In the midst of despair, we find comfort in a God who shows up, but we also find comfort in a God who acts. God is not a passive observer in the affairs of the world. He's actively fighting against the nations. In Habakkuk's world, he's actually fighting against the people of Israel. He's disciplining them for their wickedness. And Habakkuk talks about how God is coming with weapons and he's fighting against the enemies of God. And we have a, we have a aversion to this today. We don't, we don't like this part of God's story in the Bible. Maybe, maybe you don't read the Old Testament very much because this kind of weirds you out. God's angry. God's fighting. It's not really, it's not really Jesus, right? We like Jesus. He's nice and he always says happy things and bring the children to me and all this nice stuff. But God in the Old Testament, he just kind of, I don't know, it makes you uncomfortable, Dan Barker, who wrote the book, God, the most unpleasant character in all fiction, says, anyone who claims to admire and worship the biblical God has either abandoned all sense of moral judgment or has never actually read the Old Testament. That's pretty heavy. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you believe that the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament and he's the God of the universe, you've abandoned all moral judgment? Yikes. See, the problem is we, we find the judgment of God distasteful because we want to believe it's much nicer to understand God is always only loving and never judgmental. We don't want to think that God has any standards of life that we or anyone else should be held to. God just has a, a, a philosophy of live and let live and everything will be fine. And, and then we get struck with this picture of, of God actively pursuing his enemies and we, we kind of cringe inside because it just doesn't work with our 21st century sensibilities. But if we do this, this actually works against us. It backfires because the calling God's judgment distasteful and ignoring it it removes ourselves from the reality of evil. N.T. Wright says this. He says, judgment is necessary unless we are to conclude absurdly that nothing much is wrong or blasphemously that God doesn't mind very much. See, if, if God is not standing up against evil, then e either God is saying, I don't care about evil. I don't care about injustice. Or he's saying, there's no such thing as injustice. And I think we all know that that's not true. There are some really radically terrible things that happen in the world. And Habakkuk finds comfort in the fact that God is rising up and acting against evil. 
In the midst of Habakkuk's despair, he finds comfort in a God that shows up and a God that acts and then a God that wins. Look at verse 13. This is the third stanza of the song. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked. You strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. Habakkuk switches his focus a little bit here, and it's, it's kind of hard to notice But he goes from God attacking the nations to God attacking something bigger than the nations. All throughout the Hebrew Bible, the people of Israel talk a lot about the sea. You see it come up a lot. It comes up at the very beginning of the Old Testament. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. In the very beginning of the world, when everything was chaos, there's this water. And the sea was this dark, foreboding, scary, unpredictable place to the ancient Israelite. And it became this symbol of everything wrong with the world. Everything that wasn't good and ordered and right in the eyes of God became symbolized by the chaos of the sea. And so we see God treading the sea with his horses And we also see him piercing the head of the enemy. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 74 says something very similar. Psalm 74, verse 12 says, God, my king, is from ancient times performing saving acts on the earth. You divide the sea with your strength. You smash the heads of the sea monsters in the water. You crush the heads of Leviathan. You feed him to the creatures of the desert. Leviathan is this this creature that comes up frequently in the Old Testament that is this symbol of this chaos, this monster of the sea. And above all this imagery is this reality that there are dark spiritual forces in the world that are seeking to destroy everything good that God has made. There are, there are beings that have power and ill motives that want to make people's lives miserable, that want to crush the good work of God in the world. And Habakkuk sees God standing up against these enemies. The Israelites would have associated the sea monster and chaos with everything that was wrong with the world. Death, pain, illness, emotional distress, relationships gone wrong, just unsettled hearts. And Habakkuk finds comfort that God is defeating the greater enemies that motivate evil in the world. And so in verse 16, we move to what might be called the bridge of the song, something tagged on at the end. And Habakkuk says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. 
Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Knowing what he does know about who God is and what God's ultimate purpose is doesn't change how desperate his current situation is. Things are going badly for Habakkuk. And he has something like, kind of like a nervous breakdown here. He trembles, he quivers, rottenness enters his bones. He feels bad. His spiritual, emotional, and physical state are all out of whack. And he says, now I I just get to wait. I get to wait for all of this to come to pass. In verse 17, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. He, He focuses on the economic reality of this judgment, right? Babylon's gonna come, they're gonna destroy his people. There's not gonna be any prosperity. There's gonna be poverty, there's gonna be lack. And oftentimes that can be really devastating. It's not, I said when we started this book a couple weeks ago, it's not a fun book. It's not not a super exciting, pick-me-up kind of book. But for Habakkuk, this is reality. This is the truth. This is the way things actually are. I've been listening to um, a a podcast, a couple episodes of a podcast that is done by a a famous duo that um, used to, be very strong followers of Jesus. And they, over a course of a number of years, have, have decided that maybe God doesn't even exist and they've, they've abandoned their faith and they're and on their podcast, they're talking about this experience and throughout it, they, they've got lots of reasons why they've changed their views. But what I keep seeing is I just, I just need a way to explain the world that makes me feel better. I need to find a way to explain the world that doesn't doesn't cause so much friction with my coworkers. I need to find a way to explain the world that doesn't make me guilty for the things that I do. And this is pretty common. We just decide that that truth is is relative. If if you want to believe something, that's great. Believe something that makes you happy. Why would, you, why would you spend time believing something that brought you down, Habakkuk? Just, just change your views about God. Change your views about life. If it makes you happy, believe it. But this reality, this reality that God is coming, that God is going to destroy his enemies, that God is going to bring justice to the world, in the midst of this, it, just, it still doesn't make Habakkuk happy. He's broken before this reality. And yet look at verse 18. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. See, Habakkuk knows that in the end, God will restore and save that there is a 
there is a greater good down the road. And even, even if he never personally sees it in this lifetime, he trusts that God will bring it to pass. So he says he can celebrate, he can rejoice. These are, this is complicated because two verses earlier, he's trembling and quivering. And yet he still can come to a place where he's rejoicing. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's throwing a party here. I don't think he's like having a bunch of friends over and opening a bottle of wine and like, yay. It's a different kind of rejoicing. He talks about a deer. A deer's feet, a mountain goat's feet are equipped against slipping. If you've ever seen the, the, the goats on the sides of the mountains, like the cliff face is like almost completely vertical and there's a deer just sitting there going, blah, you know, and it's super weird that like they can't, they don't fall down. They don't slip. They're confident. And you see them, I've seen videos of them just running across the side of a mountain He says, God gives me the feet of a deer and lets me climb the mountain. Last summer on our anniversary, Joanna and I went to Silver Mountain for the the night. And uh, it was August. And uh, we, we went up the gondola to the top. And there was a beer festival setting up. So all these vendors coming in and there were these bands rehearsing and doing sound check and it was just kind of chaos. And then we took this trail up to the real top of the mountain. And if you take the trail up to the top of the mountain, there's this like lookout house at the top. And, and when you're up there, all of the chaos down below suddenly gets really, really far away. You can kind of hear the drum kit from the, ba- the band that's sound checking down below, but it's, it's distant and it's quieter and the air feels cleaner and you can just see the mountains from miles and miles around. And Habakkuk says, in the midst of all the craziness of my life, God's presence, God's spirit equips me to rise above it and see something that's bigger and greater and more beautiful. And that's God himself. Notice at the end of this book, Habakkuk doesn't say, and then everything got better and all of my circumstances were fixed. It's just the opposite. Nothing got better, but I can hold myself in God. In chapter 2, God told Habakkuk, the righteous one will live by his faith. And this is what Habakkuk has to do. He has to look at the world around him and recognize that even if it all falls apart, God will take care of it. Jesus says something in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Verse three, he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. 
This is eternal life. When we, when we say, what, what are you looking forward to in heaven? What does eternal life look like? How, how would you answer that? Would you just say, well, I'm going to live forever, or there's streets of gold there, or we get to eat all the ice cream we want. Nobody tells us no, right, Sarah? That's not what Jesus says. He says, you know what eternal life is? Knowing God, having a relationship with God. And this is what Habakkuk is leaning into. I don't have anything going for me except I have a relationship with God. I found that music video compelling because of all of the imagery that flashes between Johnny Cash's past and his relationships. And then did you notice towards the end, there were these brief glimpses of Christ on the cross. And I feel like he's saying like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus is part of my story a little bit. And I think that's the deficiency of that song, is that if Jesus is just part of our story, he doesn't, he's not very helpful. If he's just one of the many things we look to, it's not very helpful. But see, if we make Jesus our whole story, if we lean into Christ with everything that we are and look to him for everything that we are going to find value in, that's when we can get to the place where Habakkuk is where we can rejoice in the midst of despair. See, Jesus is the God that shows up. Jesus wasn't part of our broken world. Jesus is outside of our broken world and he comes to our broken world. It's called the incarnation. He becomes a human man and lives among us and gets in the grime with us. Jesus shows up. But Jesus isn't passive. Jesus is the God who acts. Jesus acts against injustice. And the crazy thing is he acts against my injustice and your injustice. He, he sees the broken things, not in the world out there, but in the world in here, in our hearts. And instead of punishing all of us, he allows himself to be punished on the cross on our behalf. And then Jesus is the God who wins. I love this line in Habakkuk 3, verse 14. He says, you pierce his head with his own spears. The enemies of God came out against Christ and they were determined to kill him. They were determined to use the greatest power they had, the power of death, to destroy him. And what did he do? He took death from their hands and destroyed them with it. By by dying, he defeated the power of death on our behalf. He used their weapons against them on the cross. And he rose from the dead. So this morning, we're all in different places. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure none of us totally relate to Habakkuk 
Our nation is not being conquered and destroyed by a foreign power. But I guess almost all of us probably have something that like, man, this thing, this thing may never get better. This, this issue, this relationship, this illness, this, this temptation, I pray and I ask and I seek God, remove it, change it, do something with it. And he can. But he might choose not to. He might choose like Habakkuk, I want you to live with this because I don't want you to find your satisfaction in your circumstances. I want you to find your satisfaction in me. And so that's, that's my encouragement this morning is that as we take communion together, as we remind ourselves of the work of Christ on the cross, paying for our injustice and defeating the powers of death, as we sing together, we're gonna, we're gonna sing songs about who Jesus is and how great he is and what he's done for us. Lean into that. Because as we are able to shift our perspective even in the midst of despair, even in the midst of sadness, we can find comfort in not what God is doing for us, not with what circumstances changing looks like, but the very fact that Christ is on the throne, that he loves us. And that if we're Christians this morning, we belong to him. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are, are holy and righteous and trustworthy. And we want to be people that believe that you have what's best for us at heart. Even though sometimes it doesn't feel very good to walk through the things that you're asking us to walk through. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And God, in this life, maybe there's not going to be. But God, give us hearts like Habakkuk, filled with faith, that can see the carnage outside and still rejoice because of who you are and your love for us. God, I just pray as we take the bread and the cup and, and remind ourselves of the work that you've done on our behalf, and as we sing these truths about you from these songs, God, that you would comfort hearts. That you would reorient our eyes and our ears and our souls to your great love for us. To the place that we have as children. And God, if there's anybody today that's doesn't feel like they have that, that doesn't have a relationship with you. God, I just pray that they would make that right. They would seek you. They would call out to you. They would find their comfort in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. 
Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.